Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Happiness Headspace podcast. So today we have Kimberly Spencer here with us. So would you like to just introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Kimberly Spencer. I'm the founder of crownyourself.com. I work with a lot of leaders and emerging leaders in building their empire and really standing out fearlessly with the confidence and courage to help them really make the impact and income that they deserve. Yeah, that's amazing. And I read a little bit about your journey and like everything that you've done in your life um, on your website. So do you want to tell, tell us about that? There's so much. I know you've like done so many different things. Like, I don't know how you've done so much. It's crazy. Um, So do you want to just like walk us through like your life a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So I, I grew up with two amazing parents who believed in me so much and that they they knew that anything that I could do, like anything I set my mind to, I could do. That was the good part. The unfortunate part was that my dad was an addict for all of my life. And so growing up in a home with addiction, there I didn't learn how to regulate emotions. I didn't know how to um, deal with these big feelings that I had or deal with the emotions that came from having to adapt my behavior to kind of cater to keeping me safe when my dad was drunk. Um, and so from those experiences, it sent me into having a 10 year battle with bulimia from the age of 11 to the age of 21. And from that experience though, I, I'm, I look back with so much gratitude because it really did prepare me for what I do today. Um, growing up in, in Los Angeles, the only career that I saw that was making the income and the impact that I wanted to make where I would see celebrities making multi millions of dollars and then also, you know, donating huge amounts to charity, I said, I want to go into Hollywood. And so I set the the goal and the the ambition to go into Hollywood. I was very involved in the arts in my high school. And because of growing the situation at home, I turned into a super high achiever, super perfectionist. I was so hard on myself. And I really got super depressed by the time that I was like a senior in high school. And I was also really bad struggling with bulimia at that time. And I was blessed because my mom actually said, Kim, you're such a go-getter. If you want to drop out, that's okay. And I was like, whoa, okay. And my mom, my mom's, I, I didn't end up dropping out, but I, I saw that I was performing for this illusionary standard of what I thought my, I needed to be for my parents. Mm -hmm. And instead I got to actually just say, okay, well, what do I really want to do? I really want to be in Hollywood. So let me just focus on the, the schoolwork that really involves creativity and arts and writing and those pieces that will be for screenwriting and for acting and whatnot. I ended up getting a, uh, two scholarships to go to an arts college and right before uh, two weeks before I was supposed to go for my first day, I ended up dropping out because I got the opportunity to join this acting class where James Franco studied and Sean Astin and um, Ashley Judd. And so I had this opportunity through my dad, actually, it was one of his clients and I, I seized on it and they'd never accepted someone who was 17. I was the youngest in my class and it was the first place that I actually started to see people feel. And I, I just knew it was one of those gut instincts that said like, I need to do this. And so I chose to lean all into my career in Hollywood. And I started acting in films and auditioning and writing screenplays. And that was when I had the opportunity through networking to be able to write my first feature film, which was called Bro. It was a 
freestyle motocross movie, not initially about motocross, but it was about the bro culture. And at the time I would just broken up with somebody <laughs> who was a bro. <laughs> so I, I was like, I know this culture. Well, I know, this story. I, I know the story. Um, and the story really was about a young kid who wanted to fit in with the cool crowd. And I think we all can identify with that story. And so as I was pursuing my career in Hollywood, I also knew that I needed what's called a bridge job because going out for certain roles and, you know, spor the sporadicness of, of the occasional booking, mm -hmm. I knew I needed a job to support myself and I didn't want to wait tables. I wanted a job that would actually fulfill me and give me uh, agency over my own schedule. And it was at that same time that I found from one of my uh, fellow classmates in my acting class that uh, she was studying to become a Pilates instructor. She was a bit older than I was. And so she was needing a, a higher income as well, not just like waiting tables and basing her income off of tips. And so she was studying to be a Pilates instructor. And she said, hey, do you want to do this? And I looked at it and, and I was like, well, I know Kate Hudson does Pilates. So like I knew I, I knew I needed something to help my body stay toned, because even though I was struggling with bulimia and body image. I did want to heal, but I didn't know how. And I removed myself from the professional dance space because that's where I grew up in like training to be a ballerina. And I knew that that was a very triggering environment. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with the gym. And I didn't know how to lose the weight that my agents were saying I needed to lose. And I wanted to do it in a healthy way, not in a bulimic way. And she said, well, why don't I give you a few free lessons? And I was like, okay, sure. Um, and that immediately changed the game for me. Within a month, I started feeling differently in my body. I felt confident for the first time in my life. And I immediately was like, I need to teach this. And the beautiful thing about being a Pilates instructor is I could structure my own schedule to make the space so I could have the time to write and I could have the time for auditions. And within the first year of becoming a Pilates instructor, I became the youngest, highest paid, most fully booked instructor at my studio. I started transforming my own story of body image because I was training 10 people a day, learning different stories that people had about their bodies, about their, their life and about the their circumstances. And I started seeing different stories than what I had grown up with. What I'd grown up with was a very reactionary story where immediately like something hits and then you just react to it. There's no conscious thought. There's no choice. There's no empowerment of that choice. And so I started seeing and questioning, maybe I could choose a different way. Maybe I could choose to think a different way. Maybe I could choose a new belief system. Maybe I could choose a different emotion if I just give myself the space. And through teaching Pilates and through being able to experience feeling through, through my career in Hollywood, I transformed myself from having an eating disorder with no psychological or medical intervention within, within just a few short years. And from there, the film that I was writing got produced, it got distributed by Lionsgate. And when I was at that film premiere, I was surprised because I was only 90% fulfilled. And I thought like, this is a lifelong dream. Like I have my name up on the big screen, like, like full on Hollywood premiere and what? Like I'm only 90% fulfilled. And so I got curious again and I got curious. I said, well, what is it that I'm looking for? And it was about two weeks later that I found out that a friend of a friend, like I invited 
my friend and she invited her friend and her friend's uh, son. And this boy ended up changing his life because of the film. And I said that that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is I want to transform people's stories. And at first I thought that that would be in going into screenwriting. And then I didn't find that I completely loved the whole process. And then I had an opportunity because of my Pilates background to come on as a consultant for an e-commerce company. And so we started up with that company. I was super excited. I, I told, I've always been very ambitious with my career. So I said, um, I don't just want to be a consultant. I want to be a partner. And I was 24. That's a pretty audacious thing to just suddenly jump on a quarter of a million dollar startup. And so, but the, my business partner accepted me and said like, well, with your background and your history, cause I'd already started a private Pilates studio. I had some success in film writing and he had been in the film industry prior. So he saw that I had the hustle and I came on as the president of the company and for two years, I worked on bringing this product to life, bringing it, this product to market. We got it featured in the giant billboards in New York Times Square. It got in major magazines. And then two, three months before I was supposed to get married, my business partner tells me he wants to buy me out. And it crushed me. It crushed me because all the beliefs, all of the beliefs of not being enough and not being worthy and not being deserving and being too young and being too girly and being too feminine, all of those beliefs now came to light by professionals, by lawyers telling me these things in order to negotiate our, my buyout. Mm -hmm. And we finally settled three weeks before I got married. We signed the agreement and I flew off on my honeymoon with my husband wondering like, what am I going to do when I get back? And so my husband is a fellow entrepreneur and he's a bit older than I am. So we were just kind of brainstorming on ideas. And I was thinking, well, you know, I had some success in Hollywood. I loved writing. I love health. I love beauty pageants. I loved, you know, fitness and I learned to love my body and I, I'd mastered the relationships. And I said, I'm seeing this like holistic picture of like this holistic brand that, you know, you, you, you rule in every area of your life. And I immediately leaped off the couch after way too many espressos and said, crown yourself. And my husband's like, what's that? And I said, that's the name of my company. <laughs> and so I went to work at uh, building my company, Crown Yourself, which is what I have today as a coaching company where we really support leaders in becoming leaders. That's amazing. Literally insane. Everything that you've done. I aspire to be, to do as much as you and still find fulfillment in the end. Um, and um, I want to touch back a little bit on what you said about um, when you were younger, having an eating disorder, because I know I'm a young girl and I know a lot of uh, girls my age, even boys struggle with body image and um, eating disorders and just things like that. So what would be your advice for someone that's going through um, a lot of body image issues and, or has an eating disorder or something like that? So I say this not as a medical professional, but just as someone who has gone through it, um, this is just my own personal experience, is first really start questioning, like, what are what is it that you're really seeking? Like, for me, I found my eating disorder came from a desire to really kind of prove my enoughness. I thought that maybe if I was skinny enough, maybe if I was smart enough, maybe if I was pretty enough, maybe if I was um, 
capable enough. Maybe if I got good enough grades, then my dad would stop drinking. So real, like take a, take a moment and ask yourself, who are you really doing this for? Mm -hmm. Are you trying to adapt your body for other people to like you for other people to accept you? And what is that difference between accepting and belonging? Because mm -hmm. I found out through my own eating, eating disorder and my own journey was that I, I could find people that I belonged with. I mean, I remember when I was 15, 16 years old, I didn't feel like I fit in at all. I was the weird, like, go-getter in my school who didn't really care about boys. I wanted to change the world. So I was out there like running for class president. And I think I found one of my speeches from when I was 15. And I was like, we can eradicate homelessness in Los Angeles by within the first year of me being class president. Like I had gigantic dreams and goals. And I didn't have very many, very much support back then in, I mean, in in seeing other people other people my age who had that it wasn't until i found beauty pageants actually and i've had this question a lot from other people where they said like wait beauty pageants like where you're marching around in a bikini and that actually helped you with an eating disorder and i'm like yes a because i wasn't doing the pageants with bikinis i was doing the ones that were scholarship pageants and b because i found a group of people that were ambitious that wanted to look good and wanted to you know who cared about their body and who cared about how they looked and who wanted to dress up in pretty dresses and wear crowns like i mean hello my company is called crown yourself like i like <laughs> crowns <laughs> and and they wanted to make a difference and they wanted they were academic and they wanted to they, they wanted to achieve they were high achievers i had to find my tribe of high achievers mm -hmm. and that was something that wasn't like I didn't know very many people in my high school, even though my high school was very academic, I didn't know very many people who had that, those big dreams. And that was, that was something finding my tribe, find, looking so like podcasts like yours, like I'm so inspired by you and the fact that you're starting a podcast at 15 and that you're creating this space. So you're, you're leading the space. And if you don't have, if you're not finding the space, then you can create it yourself. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is I, with through my my own company is I've created a space for finding high achieving visionary leaders who really want to step up and make an impact in the world. They want to build an empire. They don't just want a job. They want to have impact on this world. They want to make money doing it. They want to serve people with the money that they make and they like standing out, but sometimes they're just scared of it. And so I had to learn, like when I was going through my eating disorder, I had to really look at who was I doing it for? And was, was it for the acceptance of other people? And then I started to really question like, because I remember coming out to my parents was saying that I had an eating disorder. I was about 16 at the time. And because of my dad's history with addiction and my mom's history with like, I never heard my mom say something nice about her body, like ever. So I saw both, I, I learned some very, very crappy patterns about how to like myself. I, I didn't know that that was something that you could do, like that I could actually like myself. Like I saw my dad trying to escape from himself and he had so much shame about who he was. And meanwhile, I saw my mom have so much shame that she was an older woman. She was an older mom. She always compared herself to being her 20 year old version of herself. And 
I, so I learned some pretty crappy patterns growing up about how I should think about myself. And so questioning the thinking is a huge piece. Like, when did you decide that you shouldn't like yourself? When did you decide that this was the way that you had to look? And it wasn't until I started teaching Pilates that I remember I had one client who came to me and she had a, I was about 19 or 20, I think I was about 20 or 21 years old. And she had a stack of papers that was magazine clippings because that was before Pinterest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she had Pinterest and Instagram. So she had a stack of magazine clippings that she said, I want to look like this. And I looked at her and I was like, like, really? Because she already looked like the pictures in the magazines. She already looked like it. And when I said like, you realize your arms already look like this. And she would just nitpick everything because she couldn't consciously see that she already looked like that. And so one of the big things, especially going through that journey of an eating disorder is I also had to learn to receive compliments mm. because so often what we do when we don't feel like we, when our, when we think our outside doesn't like is Matt doesn't look like what we want it to think or what or what we want it to look like or what it should quote unquote should be is we don't receive compliments and so I had to learn the practice of like I would see people like not receiving and thus they wouldn't be able to see that they already looked the way that they wanted to look like I look back on what I looked like when I was 15 16 and I was like that's just a girl like how I ever thought I was like fat was is is crazy to me because that's but that's the power of hindsight and looking back and learning how to love yourself and love your body and learning how to receive compliments is a huge thing so my big tip is like when someone gives you a compliment typically think about what you say so often like what I used to say would be like oh thanks but I need to lose another five pounds or oh no I don't and what that does is you're, you're projecting a desire to be right about who you think you are on the other person. And so instead of being able to receive their compliment and accept it, you're trying to prove how right you are about what you think you look like. Mm -hmm. And that's actually quite judgmental of the other person. And so instead, just accept it and just say thank you and feel what that feels like in your body feel what it feels like and what I started doing on my healing journey was I started questioning the thought patterns that were going on in my head and especially when I was struggling with an eating disorder the thing is is I was exceptionally hard on myself and that hardness on myself I started to question that I started to question after I would purge or after I would binge. And I would think like, what led me to making that decision? What led me to making that choice? What was I feeling? So instead of being hard on myself and being like, oh crap, I did it again. I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. And having all of that internal dialogue, instead I allowed myself to start questioning, recognizing that the behavior was only a learned behavior. You can unlearn any sort of behavior. You can unlearn any sort of thought pattern. And so I started to question instead, like, well, what led me to making that decision to binge and purge? Or what led me to that 
decision to the, the the feeling that I needed to do that in order to be safe. And typically it comes from a desire to be safe. Mm -hmm. And so I, I looked at like, well, what was that feeling that I was trying to escape from? Was it fear? Was it anger? Was it grief? Was it shame? What were the thoughts that I was thinking? Was, was I scared of someone judging me? Was I going on like an the the anxiety whirly loop of like let me just repeat this like thought of like oh my god here's how much bad can happen to in this situation let me just try to you know quiet this voice in my head and i and i really just started to allow myself to question the the behavior and that's the that's the part of the learning process that can be challenging because especially for recovering perfectionists like me is like you will be making mistakes and you'll be catching yourself after you make the mistake of the behavior. So I would catch myself after I binge or I would catch myself after I purge and I'd be like, oh God, why did I do that again? Mm -hmm. The thing was, is that once I got my, got past the self-judgment and instead started questioning and asking myself better questions of like, well, actually what led me to making that decision? What, what got me to that point where I felt like I had to do that? Mm -hmm. then that was what started to change my patterns. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. That's absolutely, I agree with everything you said. And that's amazing advice for anyone who's going through that. Um, and uh, definitely the, in high school, it's so like toxic. The, I feel like even more than in the real world. I, I know a lot of people always say the real world is like, um, is, is like high school but oh i um, totally think like we should send junior hires to fight terrorism because like they're <laughs> like some girls can be so mean yeah and i and and i say that speaking because i was so mean to myself when mm -hmm. i was when i was in junior high and high school i was so mean to myself mm -hmm. and i think i like to think about the body as almost like you're having a relationship mm -hmm. like if i looked at the way that i treated my body back then it was manipulative it was narcissistic it was controlling and it was abusive versus like would that would my body want to actually like at really asking my question would my body want to have a relationship with me like nobody wants to feel controlled in a relationship. Nobody wants to feel pushed or forced to do something that they don't want to do. And that's kind of what happens is with it, with an eating disorder or with body image issues is we project this idea of how we think it should be. And so we're mad at our body for not performing up to our standards. And then suddenly, so we push it or we go on a diet or we starve it or we do something. And, and, if you think of that, if you did that in, in an actual person to person relationship, you, that would be abuse. That mm -hmm. would be absolute abuse. Mm -hmm. And so I look at it from the perspective of how can we be more loving to ourselves? How can we be kind to ourselves? How can we think kinder thoughts about ourselves? And so I started asking myself a better question of like, okay, that's a pretty mean thought. Like that's a pretty nasty person that I have going on in my head right now. Let me see, how can I be kind to her? Like maybe she just needs a hug. It's kind of like that mean girl in high school. We don't know what's going on at her home. Like we don't know what she's, what per, her personal life is like. She may be experiencing some like really serious stuff and that's why she's, that's why she's acting out. That's why she's acting mean at school because it's a place where she feels like she has some agency or control. And so instead, like looking at it from that place of compassionate curiosity, and that's like one of my favorite phrases now is just really evaluating everything 
from that space of compassionate curiosity instead of judging someone or judging ourselves for being stupid or a bitch or whatever. No, definitely. And even what you said about um, the compliment thing, which I see that so much. I've, my friends, like I'll give anyone a compliment. Um, I notice it with people that I'm not close with. If I give them a compliment, they say, thank you. And we move on, whatever, because, you know, it's awkward if you start like, oh no, that's not true, you know? But with people that I'm close with, I give someone a compliment and it's never, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. It's like, no, I don't look good. What do you mean? I look so bad right now. Oh, and I look bloated and all of this and I hate it so much. And I and I know I do that myself. I'm not saying that I'm not part of the problem. I do that myself and I'm trying so hard to change that because I, I know that I do it and I hate when other people do it. I'm like, just take the compliment because if I said it, I mean it. I'm not just gonna tell you a compliment for no reason and you know so definitely I'm trying to work on that um more and I agree with everything you said it was amazing advice um and I want to touch on um what you were talking about with your company crown yourself um what does crown yourself mean to you how have you crowned yourself in your life I will answer that question I do want to touch on one point really quick and that that the deflection of a compliment is what I call in my book, rule your body. I call it a Trojan horse. Mm -hmm. And so we have three of them we have, and they, they keep us, they keep us trapped and they're Trojan horses for every belief. So positive and negative. So taking a compliment, sometimes it hits one of them, which is social acceptance. And sometimes it's become socially acceptable within a circle of friends to then say something negative in order to actually receive more compliments of oh i'm bloated no you're not no like oh i oh don't i like i didn't shower today or like whatever whatever it is or i oh here's this reason or this that that reason sometimes that actually increases our perception that we're getting more social acceptance which is actually a deep human need to get more connection and so whenever there is a belief that you see showing up regularly, ask yourself, like, is this something that I'm doing? Is this a habit that I have in order to get more connection? How can I connect in a positive way? How can I connect and just say, like, hey, queen, just receive the compliment, like, just receive it. Like, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Like that, that's that that shifts the perce the perception of connection into one of gratitude, which totally changes the game. As for crown yourself, how I crown myself is every day, I really lean into what it means to be queen of my life. And that can be with my body, that can be as a parent, because I have two young children, um, that can be as a wife, that can be as a, as a leader, that can be as a company leader, like just yesterday, for example, um, I lost my father back in January. And so the grief process, it's not linear, it's cyclical. And sometimes like last week, this past week, it just kind of really hit because it's coming up on Christmas, which was right after he went into the hospital. Um, and from that experience, I've noticed I've had a lot more feelings of sadness and some hints of depression. And I recognize those within myself. And so instead of trying to perform at some peak level of what I quote unquote should be. I recognize that I'm still healing. I'm still grieving. And so I give myself some grace and I choose and I, and then 
I have a little conversation with myself, with my higher self, with my, my queen, myself. And I remind myself that I have people that I'm leading. And so, yes, I can have a bad day. Yes, I can also feel like crap some days. And I have a mission and I have a purpose and I have people that are looking to me to guide them out of their even crappier days. So if I'm having a bad day, I know some people are having an even worse day. And if I can just give them a little bit of hope, a little bit of inspiration, maybe a a perspective shift, maybe that belief change, maybe they just start to question just a little bit. And I can lead from that place of authenticity. That's one of my core values is really being authentic with who I am and where I am. And not always is it this perception of perfection because we're not perfect, like no one is. But we can be in a process of constantly perfecting ourselves, of constantly working on ourselves and working to show up as who we are to the best of we can to that day. I I like to say that even if I'm at 30%, I'll give 100% of my 30%. I'm not expecting to perform at some like outrageous level when I'm feeling completely on my game. I'm also recognizing where I'm at personally. And it's from that space and have being able to have those conversations of like reconnecting with my vision is what it means to be queen, what it means, what, what I'm looking to build, how I'm looking to lead and how I'm looking to shift the paradigm of what leadership really looks like, where I don't believe leadership is from like a dictatorial standpoint of like telling people what to do. I believe in leading by example and leading from a place of complete authenticity and transparency which is why like i'm open about saying i've been sad this past week or i've had hints of depression because of that space because of that authenticity because of that transparency that i'm hoping to inspire someone who's made who's listening to this to say oh my gosh i feel that too she's not this perfect person because so often we can put our mentors our coaches influencers up on a pedestal and i call it the pedestal problem because the pedestal if you think about it it's very unstable you cannot you can a gust of wind can knock it over i'm from california earthquakes happen all the time pedestals tip Mm -hmm. and when they tip if we've put someone up on a pedestal it's so much easier for it to knock down and then it crushes our belief that it's possible for us because of that pedestal so instead if we see someone and recognize, oh, they've achieved what they've been able to achieve, even with having, you know, some mental health stuff, even with feeling sad, even with bulimia, even with this, if they can do that, I can do that too. Like I'm able to see myself in that other person. And so I have mentors that I'm able to see myself in and I say, oh, she's struggling with this. Okay. If she still struggles with that and she's been able to build what she's been able to build, I can do it too. And so it allows us to take out the excuses of putting someone on like a God standard and instead recognizing our own power within ourselves Mm -hmm. and our own power with, with other people and how connected we actually are. And that's why I like to say, I see, I see people queen to queen. Like Mm -hmm. I see you as such an amazing queen doing what you're doing, Chloe, and like what you're creating and what you're what you're working toward with with creating your podcast and and inspiring others and especially at being you know 15 years old that's amazing and 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 that to me i'm like oh she's a queen like 
I don't see I don't see people as like there's a perception of queenliness where it's like oh you look down on other people and I don't see that I I think people each and every single one of us is sovereign within ourselves when we choose to lead from that space and I choose to see other people as the sovereigns within themselves and not from a looking down point but from seeing each other as equals and I see that with everyone from the president to uh to you know the person on the street mm-hmm. just saying like we are at, at our core at our soul are all sovereign beings mm-hmm. and being able to recognize that and see that we each have a purpose to play and some are leaning into it and some are leaning away from it but if I can inspire with a smile with a nice tip with you know ordering from a restaurant from a waitress who's having a bad day having a chat with somebody going on a podcast posting something on social media that's inspiring and uplifting then then i've done my job for that day like it's one of my desires as a part of crown yourself is to lead with generosity as a standard and that whomever i come into contact with that in some way their life can be improved maybe just from a smile or a story or just an acknowledgement that they're alive and human and having a human experience and and yet they're also a queen or a king and they are a sovereign being and being able to recognize that within somebody else yeah for sure um i'm really sorry about your father um but Definitely. I think also, yeah, like you were saying, it's really important to be compassionate with ourselves um, on our not so good days and uh, realizing that it's okay if you're having a bad day. Um, and like you said, giving 100% of your 30%. Um, and then also on the days that you're feeling really well, acknowledging that. And uh, yeah, definitely. I agree with everything that you said. And um, I'm completely changing the topic. Um, but I wanted to ask you, I saw that you have, um, I believe it's an online course um, for podcasting. And I know you have your podcast. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what's your advice for someone who's wanting to start a podcast or someone who's already hosting their own podcast um, on how to level up their podcast? Yeah, I love that question. Um, yeah, my program's called Communication Queens, and it's really on how to profit from podcasting and use it as a, a tool, not only for um, building impact and awareness, but also using it to further yourself financially, because as, as I like to say, you can't sustain the mission without the money. So the mission and, and being able to learn how to profit from that. And whether you have your own podcast or not, something that you can easily do is go on other people's podcasts, because one of the biggest mistakes that I see is people starting their own podcast, but they don't know how many people they're actually speaking to. And so I've and because it's we're in a digital space, sometimes we don't see that the crowd has maybe only a few people in it. Mm -hmm. And I've done public speaking for a while and having spoken in front of thousands and having spoken in front of an audience of three people that held this space for thousands. I can tell you that when you're speak when you don't have an audience that's um, paying attention to you, having your own stage is great, but being able like the key point is to bring in people's audiences. So one of the the key strategies that I teach is how to borrow other people's audiences and how to bring and attract other people's audiences to you and to what you're doing. 
And so you can do that with like having guests on your own podcast and you can do that with guesting on other people's podcasts and going on it. That's why I do at least like three to five interviews per week because I know that I'm building my audience, not only for my own podcast and my own business, but also to support other podcasters and, and raise the awareness for my business and putting in that awareness that a podcaster can, there are many ways to profit from podcasting and to make it um, away from it, that it's in alignment, that it is not like some sleazy sales thing because nobody likes that. And to make it from a place, to do it from a place of heart and soul and also from a place of what I like to say is a rising tide lifts all boats. And so with my Communication Queens program, we say that generosity is our standard and that is that is what we build from and really building those relationships and that's the that's the beautiful part about podcasting is that you get to spend 30 minutes to an hour with somebody who's giving you their time which actually is more valuable than money because you can always make more money you can never make more time and so being able to build that relationship and then see where that relationship goes. Maybe it goes into a referral, maybe it goes into um, a masterclass or some other uh, a partnership, or maybe that person becomes a client of yours. But whatever that leads to, let it lead somewhere so that it's not just, oh, I went on to someone's, like if we, a lot of podcasters, they go onto somebody else's podcast and they're like, oh, I'm building my brand. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an ego-centric place to come from, where it's like, oh, I'm building my brand, they're having me on their podcast, but then it kind of goes nowhere because when you're thinking about it from the space of like, I'm just out for me, mm -hmm. nobody wants to be in a relationship with that. <laughs> but when you come at it from a place of service and heart and looking at it from how can you further each other's interests, that can change the game. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And all the info um, for Kimberly's uh, courses and um, her website and everything are going to be in the show notes if you guys are interested. And um, I also wanted to ask you about, so I saw that you are certified as a coach in neuro-linguistic programming. So I wanted to ask you like sort of what that is and if you like wanted to explain how, um, how you use that in your life, I guess. Yeah, yeah, neuro-linguistic programming, to break it down very simply, neuro means the mind, linguistic, obviously language, and then programming. So I've spoken a lot today about like beliefs and the thought patterns. Well, the our brain, our conscious mind speaks in words, our subconscious speaks in emotions. And so our conscious mind is, our subconscious mind is constantly hearing the words that we're speaking on a regular basis. And those words mean something different for every other person. So like, for example, if I was to give you the word mom, mom for someone who's grown up with a really supportive, amazing mom is gonna have a totally different mental image and picture in their mind than someone who grew up with somebody who, with, with a single dad mm -hmm. um, or, two, uh, two, or two dads like that the different the the mental image of mom is going to be very different and we have that for every word for everything for every pattern and so what i do as a coach is i listen to the patterns and the words that someone is saying 
So I, and I listen beyond just the words as to what the words mean for that person, because we all have stories, we all have patterns, we all have beliefs. And those stories and those patterns and those beliefs are typically subconscious and they're running our lives. And like my story when I was a teenager was that I was broken, damaged, and a victim. That was my story, which, which ran my life into me being bulimic because I believed oh, I'm broken and I'm damaged and I'm a victim. So I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to punish my body for being broken. I'm going to punish, like, let me try to fix it with being, with being bulimic. So I, I had this pattern that was on repeat mm-hmm. every day. And so as a neuro-linguistic programming coach, I listen to what is it the patterns that you're telling yourself. And that's why I say like, imagine like you're, th- you're listening to the thoughts of what you're thinking. You're not the thinker of your thoughts. You're not the feeler of your feelings. You are the person who is the gentle observer looking and listening with compassionate curiosity. And that was a big shift that I made when I was bulimic was I started looking at myself like I was watching the movie of my life play out. And I would see myself make a choice. And I would look at like, what was the story? What were the beliefs? What was the language that I was using behind that choice? Oh, I felt like I had to do something. I felt pressure. I felt stress. Oh, that led me to doing this. So everything goes back to a cause and effect. And I would look at the effects that I would get. Maybe the effect was like purging or binging back then. And so that effect I didn't like because I didn't, an eating disorder is a slow form of suicide. And so I didn't want to die. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm not liking the effect of being bulimic, so what is the cause? And so I would look at the cause of like, what was the story that I was saying? What was the language that I was talking to myself with? And what what were the beliefs that were behind that language? And then I started to shift and pivot that language into something that was more of an empowering story of seeing everything that happened to me as a child actually be for my benefit, that everything, and it, it, and it was because what happened once I started claiming my power over my language, over my thoughts and changing them, consciously changing them, I was able to stage my dad's intervention in 2016. And for the last four years of his life, he was sober. That was something I never thought would have happened, like ever. But it started with me changing me first and me listening to what was the language that I was saying and what was what was the programming that I was living by? Because I like to think of programming as like, we all have computers, right? So like sometimes if we get like malware, on a computer that's just we it was downloaded from somewhere we don't know where some place on the internet and it came onto our computer and it fucked some things up <laughs> and because of that it create and it created funkiness in our software the same is true with crappy programming as i call it plagiarized programming so we like what I learned from my parents was emotions are to be buried, suppressed and escaped from. And so that was a piece of like crappy malware that went into the software of my mind. And I didn't like the results of that. Like it turned me into feeling bulimic. So I would suppress my emotions and then they would explode. And that turned into the physical form of, of binging and purging. So I looked at that crappy malware and said, when did I decide to accept that this would be a part of my computer. Mm -hmm. And so it's just cleaning out that software of our mind to say, we're gonna clean out that malware of those beliefs. Cause 
Our parents do the best with the resources that they have available. Some people just have crappy resources. Some people haven't learned. They haven't actively tried to grow. They've just kind of accepted that who they are is who they are. And with that, that is something that we get to question. As I like to tell my clients, like we may not be responsible for, it's not our fault for things that happened to us growing up. It is our responsibility to choose to change them because we can choose to let that programming run our life for the rest of our life. But that means that you're still living from that programming, from the stuff that you didn't like when you were a kid or when you were a teenager versus choosing to consciously step into your power, rewire and reframe and reshift and, and see what do I get to change? Okay, I didn't like I didn't like this belief of being constantly reactionary with my emotions. And so when I saw that there was a different way because of teaching Pilates, I saw different people responding differently. I said, oh, I can, I can choose, I can change. I can choose to change. I can choose to change how I react to situations. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It's super interesting. And I'll definitely look more into that because I know that um, I do a lot of manifestation practices and all of that. And I know like a big part of it is um, getting, like, getting rid of those limiting and like negative beliefs because you attract what you believe and you attract what you are. And so if you're constantly thinking, you know, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I'm broken. Oh, this, that, you know, that's what you're attracting more of into your life. So I'll definitely look into that. That's super interesting. And um, my last question for you would be, um, I asked this to all of my podcast guests. So if you had 30 seconds where their whole world was listening to you, what would you say? So what's your best life advice for anyone out there? 30 seconds. Well, First of all, if there's anything that you want to learn about manifestation and like thought process, definitely subscribe to my podcast, The Princess and the Bee, and to our YouTube channel um, uh, at Crown Yourself, because I teach a lot on the thought process and, re and reprogramming the mind. If I had 30 seconds to say anything, I would say, look, world, <laughs> look at where you are blaming. Look at where you are blaming other people, blaming yourself blaming systems, government, schools, teachers, anything. Look at where there's blame and then look at how can you then take ownership. I think one of the greatest problems that is facing our world today is people are not taking ownership for their choices. They are defaulting the blame to somebody else, to some other choice, to some other person, to some other entity and saying, oh, they made me, I had to, so that here's, here's how my life is. The only way you can manifest and create your reality is by taking full 100% ownership that you are at cause for your life and that you produce the results that you want to produce. And if you aren't getting the results that you want to produce, then look at then look at again back to the cause and take ownership that what the causes created that effect. And so if you take ownership instead of blaming because you can't when, when you're at effect when you're blaming other people you can't make any change you you become completely powerless to actually creating change when you choose to take ownership and say okay how did i create this circumstance how did i manifest the, these results i don't like these results but how did i do this what were the circumstances what was i thinking what was i saying to myself or the actions that i took and start questioning those actions you can change the cause and thus you can change the effect mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you so much. That's amazing. And um, I really appreciate having you on the podcast. And again, um, all of Kimberly's links and um, for her podcast, for her YouTube channel, for her website and everything, all the courses and everything will be in the show notes um, for anyone interested. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Have a good one. You too. Bye.